Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. Good morning, Windsor Christian Fellowship. So we've been working through emotions. How many of you have been enjoying working through your emotions? How many realized that you had more emotions than you thought you did? And uh, I, I, one guy said, uh, yeah, once you take the lid off, man, they're all over the place. <laughs> but today we're going to be dealing with the emotion of hatred. I love my Bitmoji face. I'm not sure if I'm afraid or hating, but either way, fear drives hatred. As we've been working through emotions, I've been talking to everyone, I've been qualifying the conversation and explaining to everyone that there is times in our life when our brain is not functioning as it's designed to by the Creator. And, and sometimes we need to get some professional help to help us bring our brain into the proper levels so that we can receive um, the Word of God that's coming forth, because I have an understanding that the Word of God has to go into good ground if it's going to produce good fruit inside of your life. If it falls on stony ground, the Word is not going to be received. So sometimes we don't have a frame of reference to understand the Word of God, so I encourage people, if you need to talk to someone, if you need to get help, please do that, so that the Word of God can go in and it'll change your life, and the Word of God does change your life, I believe that. So we've been talking about emotions. Today's emotion is hatred, intense dislike or ill will, extreme dislike or disgust uh, would be a a definition of hatred. I kind of get a sense that hatred most fully realized is a total absence of love. So where love is not present, you will find hate. And uh, if God is love, I find it interesting, you know, that we talk about hatred, how much that God hates. There's some things he hates, but I don't think he hates people. Hating others is the first thing I want to talk about. That's condemned in the Bible. And we'll read 1 John chapter 2. So when it talks about hating people or people groups or just others, uh, that's kind of outside the bounds. Let's see what 1 John 2 says in verse 9. If anyone claims I'm living in the light but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. It's a really interesting verse, verse 10. Because I am baffled at the number of people that come into churches across globally, but sure, North America, Canada, and they don't really care if they cause other people to stumble. And the Bible talks about all things are permissible, you know, you can eat meat and some don't like meat, some like vegetables, and, but if my meat's going to cause you to stumble, I'm not going to have you over and serve you steak. But I'm baffled at the number of people that really don't care if they cause someone else to stumble. And the Bible has some pretty firm words for you about that if you're not concerned about others. Uh, we see this most fully realized in the culture in the area of alcohol. Well, I'm not going to teach on that today. But if we truly love people, you want to do things that cause others to be built up in the faith. 
And uh, if you love your fellow believers, you're living in the light. And if you're living in the light, you don't cause others to stumble. Now that said, anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in darkness. So if you hate people, you really can't be walking in the light because it goes against the nature of Christ. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. Now, people hate each other for many different reasons. Uh, we see a common one is, you know, someone dies and then the family turns into a big feud over the money. I've seen families split right down the middle. Even before they die, I've seen families split up and break apart over money. What a, what a, what a tragic Thing where hatred comes in over something so trivial. But maybe that's happened to your family. Have you ever read the story of Jacob and Esau? Obviously, I'm going to have to explain that. <laughs> Not only did Esau sell his birthright to his brother, but Jacob deceived his father into the family blessing. Esau hated his brother for a season until he got past it. He needed to come to the place where he let it go. And I believe in that moment when he let it go, God blessed him. So that when they reunited, there was peace. Otherwise, that could have been pretty ugly. Do you know what I'm talking about? How about Joseph? His brothers sold him into slavery. I suppose some of them wanted to kill him. Some of them wanted him dead, but nonetheless, they sold him into slavery. How many of you, I don't need to know, have been sold into slavery? People resent each other for various reasons. There's hatred present. How about wealth? The poor people hate the rich people because they have something or they've worked hard because they have. The rich people resent the poor people. I saw the epitome of this when I was over in the Philippines. There's rich, A, B class, poor, C, D class. But I remember I was talking to a, I talked to everybody, but I talked to a wealthy man this one day, and he was explaining to me that he had all this land. And as a Christian, he was having a hard time because what they often would do when they have a lot of land is if someone just sets up a camp on your property over in this section, if they live there long enough, it's called squatter's right. It becomes their property. So a lot of the rich people set up little towers with security guards, and if the people don't leave when they ask them to, they shoot them. I'm not saying that that's correct, but he was, he was asking me, like, in Christ, how do, we, how do we resolve this? And one of the things that I, I can say to the matter of this with the rich and the poor is, on both sides of it, God says if a man's lazy, break his plate. And on the other side of it, it says if it's within your ability to bless someone and you don't, you're remiss. If you have and you see someone without, God says take care of their needs. So people resent each other because of wealth. How, how do you think the Samaritans and the Jews got along? The Samaritans and the Jews hated each other. The Jews thought they were half-breeds and called them that. <laughs> they didn't get along very good. Racism is not something new. It's been around for generations and generations in some cases. It's one thing I love about our church. We have people from all nations, many nations, over 70 or 80 coming to worship together. I love that we can do that here. But the truth is, 
There's lots of people that hate other people. Sometimes it's generational hatred, and sometimes it's perceptions. Or maybe you don't know what they did to me, but the Bible is very clear that as Christians, we don't hate others. Jesus loved others, and no matter what we did to him, I mean, think about it. You and I, I want you to picture yourself with a hammer in this hand, unless you're left-handed, then you can put it in this hand. And I want you to put a nail in your other hand, because realistically, you're the one that put the nails into the, into the wrist of Jesus. And you're the one that put the, the nails into the feet of Jesus. Why is that? Because it's our sin that put him on the cross. And none of us are immune to that. All of us have sinned, the Bible says, and fallen short of God's glory. So really, you and I put Jesus on the cross. He willingly went there to pay the debt for your sin and for mine. So hatred is something that Jesus tells us we're not supposed to do as Christians, but I want to move on because God did hate some things in the Bible and does hate some things today. And I should read those to you because if God hates things, so should we. Notice I didn't say he hates people. He hates some of the things that people do. So in Proverbs 6, I'll read it first, then we'll explain it. There are six things the Lord hates, no seven things he detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong. My tongue is racing to get the words out. A false witness who pours out lies and a person who sows discord in a family. Let's start with haughty eyes. God hates the haughty eyes. That's the people that see themselves as better than everybody else. And sometimes we do this, believe it or not, because how many times do we value judge others and think that we're better than them or our life is worth more than theirs? I think about it. When I watched that movie Unplanned, it became very evident to me that there's a whole segment of our culture that feels that their right for convenience is more important than a child's life. Haughty eyes, do we think of ourselves more than we should? My Bible tells me that at the foot of the cross, all men and women are equal. We all stand equal before God. There's no one better than anyone else. We all stand equal before the Creator. And the truth is, if we see ourselves as better than others, we need to repent of that. The next thing that God hates is a lying tongue. This really seems to be opposite the spirit of truth. Some people have severe problems with telling the truth. In fact, there's some people you try to have a conversation with them and they can't tell you the truth. They can't even tell you about their day without lying. And you say, I would never do that. Oh, we embellish things all the time. My kids were picking on me the other day. I said, there must have been 500 ants out there. There was probably 30. Cumulatively in my yard, there was probably 50,000. However, <laughs> where they were looking, there was 30. See, it's a little bit of, a, it's a little bit of an embellishment, but there's people that lie. They twist the truth. They can't speak the truth. God hates a lying tongue because it goes so opposite of his nature. How about hands that kill the innocent? That's murder. You know, some of you might say, I've never killed anyone. I've never spilled any innocent blood. But you know, the Bible equates hatred to murder. 
How about 1 John chapter 3 and 14 and 15? If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. If there's hatred in your heart towards others, the Bible says that you can't have eternal life, not with Christ, because it says that you're a murderer in your heart. So God hates these things. These are things that God hates. So we have to be careful to make sure that we don't have hands that kill the innocent. How about a heart that plots to do evil? Do you wish ill on others? Do you plan the demise of someone else? Have you given your brain power to how you're going to get them? Think terrorist. They intentionally plot and plan the demise of others. God hates hearts that plot evil. In Christ, we wish people the best. I wish you well. I want to see people be successful. I want to see people succeed. I want to see life go well for my friends and family and even the people I... Let's rejoice with the people who have something to rejoice about. We wish people well. We want well for mankind. Doesn't the Bible even go so far as to say, bless your enemies, pray for those? Isn't that what the Bible says? Feet that race to do wrong. <laughs> Are you quick to sin? Look, Friday night, you get off work, what do you run to? Hopefully righteousness. But not everybody runs to righteousness. Let me tell you, there's some people that go rush to do a lot of things that they shouldn't be doing. And some of you sitting here know you shouldn't be doing it, but you go do it anyway. What do your feet rush to do? Do you rush to evil? Do you rush to good? I can't answer that for you. A false witness who pours out lies, and you think, didn't we talk about the lying tongue already? Get off the lying already. Listen, this kind of lying will bring harm to others. Because when you lie under oath, you can put someone in prison, or in some places, you can get put to death on the testimony of a false witness. On the testimony, isn't that what happened to Jesus when he was here? Isn't that what happened to the Apostle Paul when he was here? People lied, they bore false witness. You know, Paul, oh, he's, breathing, he's bringing pagans and Gentiles into the temple. No, he didn't. He was walking down the street with one, but he didn't bring him into the temple. But no, we saw him. That's bearing false witness. God hates when people do that. I gotta say this. People think that they get away with it for now, but it always comes out in the wash. And just because they don't get justice, it appears in this life, justice will come. You'll see. You know, sometimes it can be very discouraging when it looks like corruption rules and that the, the disintegrous people or the non-integrous people get blessed. But that's okay. It all comes out in the end. And the final one that it says God hates and we should hate too is a person who sows discord in a family. 
If you read Psalms 133, you'll see that unity is what God has asked us to walk in, not discord. The blessing comes in unity, not in discord. But God hates those that sow discord in families. So if you're a gossiper or a slanderer, or if you're bearing false witness, or if you're trying to create drama in a family, God hates you. Because those things divide. And love does not divide. Love unites. Yeah, when you draw a line in the sand in love, yeah, sure, people separate, but they pull away from darkness because they don't like the light. God is calling his people to make sure that we're not people who sow discord in a local community of believers. That's why it's so important that we guard our words, the things that we're speaking. I got to keep moving forward. So it's kind of forbidden to hate others. There's some things that God hates. We should hate that. And then there's self-hatred. This is kind of big because a lot of people struggle with self-hatred. Too many people feel, especially the performance-driven ones, you feel like if you just do this and if you just look just so and if I say the right thing and if I accomplish these things, maybe I'll earn God's favor. You'll never, the truth is, you'll never look good enough. You'll never be able to perform at a high enough standard. You'll never be able to avoid enough sin that you can please God. You can't earn it. It's free. But if you think that you have to perform to obtain God's favor, you're always going to be discouraged. You're always going to be beating yourself up. You're always going to feel like you're never good enough. You're never going to like what you see in the mirror. God made men and women in his image and in his likeness, and we're supposed to be image bearers. We have to learn to be content. We have to learn to be satisfied with what God has placed in our hand and who he's made us to be. With the rise of social media, so many people now are walking around wishing they were like someone else. I wish I could be like them. Why don't you just enjoy being you? You might say, well, I'm not that exciting. Well, read your Bible. There was lots of exciting things that happened in people's lives. <laughs> but see, if you feel that nothing is ever good enough, it's often going to fuel anger in your life. Now, we're going to talk about anger next week, so I'm not going to develop that right now. But this self-loathing or this self-hatred, it comes out all over the place because people are angry all the time and they don't even know why. Well, they don't like themselves very much. And why don't they like themselves very much? Because they feel like they're not good enough. You can't earn it. Catherine Winner, self-loathing is a prison within the mind. It may feel familiar and secure and you may not want to taste the freedom that exists on the outside, but once you do, you'll realize how restricted you really were. And then Dr. Paulison the eyes that self-haters live before are often a composite of what the Bible calls pride and fear of man. One of the ways the conscience skews is when I become attuned to where my own opinion of myself and other people's opinion of me, which are these two vectors of which self-hatred most often works, 
Those eyes become what is important, and the eyes of God recede into the backdrop and are distorted. We get a false view of how God might view us. In other words, my opinion of myself and others' opinion of myself, when it becomes more important than God's opinion of me, suddenly God's opinion becomes distorted. So we can't even see the truth anymore for what it is because we focus too much on what others think and what we think instead of what God thinks. Hebrews chapter 4, 4, 4, 4.14. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. The high priest is ours, of ours, understands our weaknesses. For he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and find grace to help us where we need it most. What's he going to help us where we need it most? If you don't like yourself, you need help. Go to the throne of grace. And then I recommend, this is my solution. I didn't write the solution. I'm just pointing you to it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It talks in depth about what love is. And if you don't like yourself, if you've got that self-loathing or that self-hatred where you just don't like yourself very much and you don't like what you see and life is never good enough and you're never satisfied and you're angry all the time, listen, 1 Corinthians 13, you need to bathe yourself in the love of God and you need to learn what true love is and you need to receive God's love. And then you will start to see yourself in his image as an image bearer in his likeness. Which leads me to our current culture and hatred. John 15, Jesus speaking, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it, but you're no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is no greater, not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they're going to persecute you. And if they listen to me, they, they would listen to you. They will do all this because of me, for they've rejected the one who sent me. They would not be guilty if I had come and spoken to them, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Sorry, if I had not come and spoken to them. Anyone who hates me also hates my father. If I had, hadn't done such miraculous signs among them that no one else could do, they would not be guilty. But as it is, they have seen everything I did, yet they still hate me and my father. This fulfills what is written in the scriptures. They hated me without cause. But I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. Interesting. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me, and you must testify about me because you've been with me from the beginning of my ministry. You know, they hated Jesus when he was here. What makes you think they're not going to hate you? Light and darkness don't usually get along too good, but our culture has gone off the rails. You see, when we remove the moral lawgiver, that's God, from the culture, suddenly there's no morality. So who determines what is right and who determines what is wrong? It's left up to individuals. But your definition of right and my definition of right look, might look very different. This creates a lot of problems right now. It's creating, a, it's creating a lot of conflict in our culture. But I want to take it to the next level now. Because... Really, the Bible does set the terms of the conversation for morality, but now we go to hate speech. And it's a term that's thrown around a lot, especially here in Canada. By definition, it's intended to assault, offend, or intimidate a person because of some trait, such as race, religion, sexual orientation, national origin, or disability. 1 Corinthians 
118, it talks about the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. I want you to understand something. We live in a world where people want to do wrong. I just want to do wrong. Leave me alone. I didn't say anything. Yeah, but you're light. When you're around, I feel guilty. But I want you to catch this. Because what happens is, if I didn't love you as an individual, I would not suggest to you that your current behavior is bringing destruction into your life. I really do love people. And when I see people headed for a cliff, I want to do everything in my power to warn them, hey, if you keep going down that path, it's a steep drop. It's not going to end how you women think of it's going to end them. You see, when you tell someone their behavior is wrong, they immediately come back with, why are you being so hateful and intolerant? Now, I want to go here for a second because often someone making that statement to me is living a very self-centered life. And taking it a step further, their definition of tolerance self-destructs. I want to go over this and over this. We need to understand this. Because when I speak into someone's behavior as wrong or opposed to the nature and the character of Christ as we choose to live as Christians, and they come back with, why are you being hateful? I'm not hateful. I love you. I want the best for your life. But if you keep doing this, things are not going to end well for you, I assure you. It won't work out how you think it's going to. And you know how I know that? I can speak with confidence because I know that the Creator created mankind and He set the order in the universe. And any time that mankind tries to deviate from the order that God created the heavens and the earth and people with, they're going to get themselves into trouble. It's kind of like a car. If you start fooling around with the engine and saying, I don't need the spark plugs, and I don't need this wire, and I don't need this piston or this cylinder, you think it's going to work as it was intended? Ay, ay, ay. People who are tolerant in words, in their speech, are usually not very tolerant in their actions. Especially when it comes to the practice of Christianity, our views of creation, our views of morality, moral absolutes, our views of the person and the work of Christ. Essentially, the, two, the new tolerance is not very tolerant of Christianity. Everything else goes, but not Christianity. It's kind of messed up. So what happens is, if I say that Jesus said I'm the way, the truth, and the life, that's my belief, that he's the way, the truth, and the life to heaven. That's my, I'll call it religion. I know we focus more on relationship where we sit in our, in our, in our views, but nonetheless, we believe in having a relationship with Christ. That's our religion. If someone discriminates against me for what I believe, they're actually the ones being an intolerant bigot. And you need to understand this because they use this hate speech stuff to intimidate you, to silence you from speaking the truth. Yet they've got a double standard. Yeah. 
You can't talk out of both sides of your mouth. Can't have it both ways. And, and what happens is they try to manipulate the situation and because hate is such a negative word in our culture, and you know what? There is people that fall under hate speech. I agree. They are hateful and they do have people's ill will and they have ill will towards others. And those people, sure, that's what the law is there to protect people from that. But if you're operating in love and if you're just following your beliefs, I don't really see why they're trying to carry it over, except that light and darkness don't mix real good. That's what we got to understand. So now we live in a culture where opinion supersedes fact. People care more about what they think than the actual data. Go have conversations with people. Get the truth, start presenting the truth to them, and they'll look at you and go, yeah, well, I don't believe that. Okay, well, what do you believe? My favorite one more recently was that guy Stephen Hawking. He changed in the end. I told you this, but I'll tell you again. He changed in the end because he realized that evolution is a theory was scientifically impossible. So he had to renounce evolution before he passed away. So his only conclusion, though, was that life was seated here on crystals. Yeah. Couldn't acknowledge that maybe a creator spoke the universe into existence, but you know, he had to move off of that because they've disproven it on so many levels so many times. But what happens is you talk to someone and they go, oh, no, no, evolution is a fact. I'm like, really, prove it. Prove it. Because if you knew how many motors in a single cell would have to come online simultaneously for life to exist, it can't happen. There's a higher chance of your Cadillac falling out of the sky from nothing to something than evolution. Ay, ay, ay. Here, stand up with me. We're towards the end here. Moral absolutes, coincidentally, is the reality for the foundation of the rule of law. And as soon as you remove the moral absolutes, guess what? Now it opens the door to injustice. You know, we here in Canada are starting to get on pretty thin ice with this. Because as we continue to remove the moral absolutes from the culture, go look at some of the countries that have no moral lawgiver and see how they treat their citizens. Some of you have seen Lou Giglio with his little, if the earth was a golf ball, you know, go to New York and that'll give you an idea of the size of the earth. Or if you drive over the Golden Gate Bridge, you know, take your golf ball over to Iran and see how they treat their citizens. Or why don't you take your golf ball over to North Korea and see how they treat their citizens. Go see how it is in other countries where if you're not in the ruling caste, it's not going to end so well for you because you're just a peon. See, without a moral lawgiver, men are not equal before God, and it opens the door to injustice. In Psalms chapter 45, your throne, O God, endures forever, and you rule with the scepter of justice. I love that. You love justice and hate evil. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more and more than on anyone else. Our motive is love, our mission is truth. As we stand at the table where we celebrate our covenant meal with Christ today, I want to open an invitation to many of you.
If you're struggling with hatred in your heart towards someone, maybe you say, you don't know what they did to me. I don't. God does. I know what we did to him. But you're putting yourself in prison. Let it go. Let the hatred go. God's just. He'll deal with it. It always comes out in the end. Nothing's hidden. Those things that remain hidden for a season, we think maybe they think they got away with it. It always comes out. One day they'll stand before a just God and they're not going to like that conversation. But you don't have to judge it. You just have to release it. It doesn't justify it. But if you've struggled with hatred, maybe towards a people group, maybe towards others, maybe towards authority, you know, the altar's going to be open in a second. And maybe when I went through some of the things that God hates, your heart said, oh, maybe I need to watch that. I do that sometimes. Maybe I do so discord. God, please forgive me. And there's others, you've been intimidated into silence by the humanistic culture that we live in, and you've been operating in fear. For those three things and anything else today that is on your heart, if you would like to come down to the altar with us as a point of contact, I want to invite you down. And yes, I believe that God can touch you in your chair, but I really feel that if you make a step of faith, God will release you from those things that hold you in bondage. So come on down up here to the front with us as we begin. And I'm going to start praying. You feel free to walk out of your seats and come join us at the front. Father, I thank you that at the, at the table, you have made men and women in your image. And you've made all things beautiful. There's some of you, you just have a hard time with that. He has made all things beautiful. All things. All people are made beautiful in his image. And God wants you to know he made you beautiful today. Lord, heal us, forgive us, restore us to wholeness today, and help us to let go of the things that enslave us in Jesus' name. In the cup that represents the blood of the new covenant, there's power in the blood of Jesus. For only through his shed blood can you receive forgiveness for the things that we've done and the hateful acts that we've committed. But God is merciful, and if you simply call out to him, forgiveness is your right as his child. Father, we cast our cares on you, and we stand before you today with clean hands and a pure heart. I thank you for the blood of Christ that took us out of the kingdom of darkness and put us into the kingdom of light. And there we have found freedom. And Lord, help us as your people to reflect love to the culture. Help us to reflect love to others and help us to always choose to take the higher road. We bless your name now in Jesus' name. God bless you all. Take the love of Christ everywhere you go. And we'll see you next time. Have a great day.